The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'm very excited to see everybody here tonight. After Pastor announced last week and this morning that I'm preaching, I thought it would be scaring everybody away. So, very nice to see everybody here tonight. Um, first of all, I'd like to express the inadequacy, I feel, of being up here. Um, I've been preceded by men of great facial hair. And uh, Pastor Dan Smolders, Dan Christians, and uh, me, I've been going for three weeks now and nothing. So hopefully that doesn't have anything to do with the message. Uh, first of all, uh, before we get started... Um, I want to read our key verse for tonight, and it comes from Luke 9, 46. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And remember that verse as we start, and uh, before we read the rest of the text, let's begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we can come to you tonight, open up your word, and, and just figure out Uh, how to be more like you, and how to apply uh, everything that you've taught us to our lives so that we can love you more and become more like you. I pray that tonight that you would use the words that I say, um, use your word to to speak to others, Lord. I know that whatever I say is is nothing, but uh, I pray that you would use, use me to be your vessel tonight. Thank you for what you do for us, in Jesus' name. So where we start tonight in Luke 9 is Jesus, with his 12 disciples, um, they're coming together uh, following two tours of Galilee. And they're coming together just before their third tour of Galilee. Um, Jesus realizes that it's time for his disciples to finally go out on their own um, without him. And uh, that's where we find ourselves right now. So I'm going to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, I kind of want to get a premise of what this chapter is going to be talking about. And we are going to go through almost the entire chapter. And before all of you guys think, wow, there are 62 verses in this chapter we're going to skip over and look at some highlights of some main events that the disciples experience and observe throughout the chapter. So first of all, we see in these couple of verses, Christ preparing the disciples to go out into Galilee and to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So, verse 6, they depart and went through towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, We see Jesus giving them this power. They go out first to preach the gospel, second to heal the sick. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some some, that John had risen from the dead, and some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that the old prophets had risen again. The disciples were making a pretty big impact right now. So it's not like nowadays where... Something happens on the other side of the world, and through Facebook, everybody knows about it. Everything here is word of mouth. So word is spreading 
that the disciples or somebody is having a huge impact in Galilee. It reaches Herod, and he's wondering what is going on. Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the disciples, when they had returned, told him, Jesus, all that they had done. So, get the picture here. Disciples go out, they're preaching, and they're healing. Herod's kind of getting the message that something big is going on, and he's wondering what's going on, and the disciples, after they complete their ministry, come back, and they tell Jesus all that they had done. So first event here in, in Luke chapter 9, as the disciples are given this power, and they go out and preach the word. Second event, starting halfway through chapter 10. Then Jesus took, him, took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethesda. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So I kind of get the picture here. The disciples, are they've gone out. They're probably pretty tired, and what we know, it seems like this is probably about a year that the disciples had gone, and they did their preaching, and they did their healing, and they did some pretty amazing things that the Lord had given them power to do. So they're probably tired, and during this time, Jesus is probably doing his own ministry as well. And so we get the picture that they're probably tired, they go to a deserted place, Bethesda, and they just want to have a rest. Jesus wants to regroup with his disciples and just kind of have a break. But the multitudes, they hear that Jesus is there, and they start following him. They want to hear him speak and perform miracles again. He received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So I want, to, I want you to see a theme also as we go through the following verses, that Jesus is continually showing love and compassion wherever he's going. Just a side note, but I want you to notice that as we go through the verses. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. This is Jesus speaking. And then they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless we go buy food for all these people, for there are about 5,000 men. So get a picture here. The disciples probably potentially annoyed that all these people had come, that these crowds had formed around Jesus again, and Jesus was doing his love and compassion of preaching to these people and healing the sick. And the disciples, as it gets toward the end of the day, they say, hey, we should probably send these people away, give them some rest, we don't have any food here, but send them away. And Jesus, again, loving and compassionately, says, hey, let's feed them. And the disciples are, mm, no, we don't have any food at all. We have these five loaves and two fish. But the disciples, they're forgetting who they're with again. And we see it again later on, but they're forgetting who they're with. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So the disciples are at this point where they're thinking, there's no way that we can feed these people at all. And then, as we get to the end of 
this part, this event, um, we find the disciples carrying away 12 baskets of leftover food that Jesus had miraculously multiplied. So the disciples go from a state of complete unbelief to now carrying away 12 baskets full of food that Jesus had multiplied. So that's event number two. Event number three, starting in verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter's really brilliant. So keep that in your head as we keep going. But Peter's brilliant. So Peter blurts out the Christ of God. So he's correct here in this passage. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell us no one. So event number three is Jesus, because everyone around him, all the crowds, Herod, all these people, they were kind of speculating who this great person is. Jesus wisely says to his disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter states, you are Christ, you are God. Peter declares that he knows that this is Jesus Christ, God's son. So let's move on to event number four. Starting in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be raised the third day. This is the first time in this chapter that Jesus is predicting his death. As we keep reading, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Now there's a lot, there's tons packed in this passage right here. But we're kind of going to zoom out and we're going to look at just a few highlights. So he, he challenges the disciples that they must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow him. Now at the time, the cross was viewed very differently than we view it today. We often view the cross as this burden that we must bear, this burden that we must carry. But at this time, people looked at the cross. This is a tool of torment. This is a tool of death and pain. And it's completely different than how we think of it now. We even look at the cross now uh, as certainly one of uh, a place where Christ took our sins. But at the time, the symbol of the cross was one just of pain and suffering and death. So when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, what he's saying is, guys, you must realize that you have, you have to push away everything that is associated with self, push that aside, potentially giving up all your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, pushing those all aside before you can ever follow me. There are kind of two questions that are posed in verses 24 and 25. So the first question, 24, is whoever desires to save his life 
will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the first question here is, heaven or hell? So you have to make a decision, heaven or hell. And of course, people are like, yes, heaven, absolutely. That's the, that's the right choice in this. But then verse 25, for what profit is it to a man if he gains a whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? The second question is not heaven or hell. We've answered that. The second is heaven or earth. Because how easy is it for, for us to get so consumed with this earth that we forget the, the true goal of a Christian is heaven. Jesus stressed the disciples that they have to make a choice to completely rid themselves of the one thing that stands between them and heaven and following Christ, and it's themselves. They have to rid themselves of self. Let's, let's go to event number five, starting in verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. So get this picture here. Christ takes Peter, James, and John up to Mount Hermon, very high mountain at the time. And as they're there, disciples fall asleep. And while they're there, Jesus is standing, and there appears with him Elijah and Moses. And they're standing there, and Jesus completely physically changes and just to make this official, we're going to throw a Greek word in here and explain what it means. So the word heteros is used when it talks about altering appearance. And this is a word that means another of a different kind. So Jesus physically changes appearance. His face completely changes. His robe is shining. It turns white. And if you can imagine, and I was thinking about this, so it specifies in, in the Bible that his robe turned white. And we often think of Jesus in this white robe all the time. But these guys were walking around all the time. And, like, if I walk around, or if even I watch my kids who are walking around, they're getting pretty dirty no matter what. So to see all of a sudden Jesus standing in a white robe, that must have been amazing. So these disciples have just witnessed Jesus completely and physically changing appearance. His clothes are shining and bright white. And then there are two men standing next to him. That's pretty amazing. Let's keep reading. Then it happened as they were parting from him, these are the two men, that Peter said to Jesus brilliantly, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. This is not knowing what Peter said. So Peter, in all his brilliance, says, hey, it's awesome that we are here with you, experiencing all this with you. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness. Here, you just don't get it. And, um, and then Peter, he equates Jesus, who he said just eight days ago, 
that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he equates Jesus with men who were great men, Elijah and Moses, but he equates them on the same level as these two men, which he's not. Peter already declared that he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Peter is brilliant, but they hear a voice, and a cloud comes over top of them. And just after Peter states in all of his brilliance about his statues that he wants to build, um, a cloud comes in verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So not only do they just experience a transfiguration, they see two men appear with Jesus, and Jesus physically changes. Then a cloud comes over top of them, and they hear the voice of God himself saying, this is Jesus, my beloved son. These disciples are witnessing some amazing events. Let's move on to the next event. Event number six. Starting verse 37. Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So Jesus, and this is kind of a cool analogy, Jesus and the disciples come down from the mountaintop, and they're greeted by this crowd of people. And it, if we think of it, you know, a lot of times we experience these mountaintop experiences, but eventually we've got to come back down, and we've got to know that, hey, this is life. Certainly the valleys are going to, going to happen, um, but we've got to keep doing what we're supposed to do. So the disciples and Jesus come down from the mountain, and they're greeted by this crowd of people again. And a man runs up to Jesus and says, Jesus, my son, my only son, is demon-possessed. Please help him. Your disciples have tried to help him, but it hasn't worked. Can you please help him? And Jesus' response to this is kind of strange. Verse 41, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse nation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. So Jesus realizes that all of his acts of love and wisdom and kindness and compassion, they will mean nothing in, a, in just a very short time in the future when the people are going to greet him with rage and hatred and ultimately kill him. So he, he looks at these people, he thinks back on all the, the love and compassion he's shown to them, and he's wondering, guys, why don't you get it? How long will I be with you and bear with you? And then he says, bring your son here. So he still has love and compassion on these people. He says, bring your son here. And we see that he heals the, th the son. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. This is verse 42. Healed the child and gave him back to his father. And the people, again, in verse 43, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. The people are looking at Jesus, looking at what he's done, and they're amazed at what he's done. The disciples, too, 
Don't forget, they're part of the crowd. They're part of all the people that are witnessing what's going on. And they're all amazed at the majesty of God. Let's move on to the next event, starting halfway through verse 43. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. So the next event here is Jesus predicting to the disciples again that he is going to be killed. They don't get it, but he's predicted to them that it's going to happen. Verse 45, but they did not understand the same, and it was, as it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about the same. So we have seven amazing events that the disciples have witnessed. They've, they've been a part of it. They've performed some of these amazing events. And they've seen Jesus do some amazing things. But let's move to verse 46, the verse we started with. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. Really? Like, you've gone through seven amazing experiences. You've seen the power of God. And, they, and then they start arguing with each other about who's the best? Really? Let's go to the next verse. After, and Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. And said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. So Jesus, and I love his response here, and he does this so many other times, is he sees the disciples or other people do certain things, and he responds in a completely different way than you would expect. So in this case, instead of saying, guys, like, come on, who actually is the greatest? Like, God the Father's been doing all this of one... This, these amazing things, he instead pulls a child in front of them and he says, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me, for he who is least among you will be great. And if we turn to Mark 9.35, this is an account of the same situation. Mark 9.35 states, and he sat down called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be, fir- he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to him, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus' response to the disciples arguing about who is greatest is, Guys, Being a servant is the greatest. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. That is completely opposite of how our society thinks, of how you and me especially think. In order to be the greatest, we are to be the least. That it doesn't make sense. A similar story is... That of the rich young ruler. If we go to Mark 10, 17, we see another story where 
somebody loses completely the sight of their priorities. The same as the disciples have lost their priorities, we see starting in, in verse 17 of chapter 10, another man who's completely forgotten his priorities. This is the story of the rich young ruler. Now, he was, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, I'm going to rabbit trail really quickly because I love what Jesus does here and his response to this man. So, so I'm sure all of us, as we approach the topic of evangelism, we all wish that this situation would happen to one of us. Someone runs up to you and says, how can I be saved? Like, when does it ever happen? And Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Why would you say that to someone that asks you how to be saved? And we find out later that Jesus gives him the commandments and reveals to him first that, it's this, that after he realizes that he himself is a sinner, only then can he come to follow Christ. But I love Jesus' response here because it's complete opposite again of what you and me would do. So if we read on in verse 19, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I kept from my youth. So this guy's like, yes. <laughs> these things, I got it. I got it under control. And Jesus, like, this is so smart and wise. He set this guy right up. Then Jesus, looking at him, again, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the boar, Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this guy had just been given the plan for eternal life. Jesus points straight to his heart and says, No, your priorities are not in the right place. You're attached to this world. You're attached to self. Give it up. Only then can you follow me. Revealing to the man that before he can fully follow Christ, he has to prioritize Christ and give up himself. Three quick points of summary as we looked at what's happened in this chapter. So, first of all, it's not about us. It's so easy to get caught up with this world, with our successes, with our own ambitions, that we completely lose sight of what it's really all about. We must push ourselves aside. We must take up our own cross, again, giving up our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, potentially giving up our life to follow Christ. Let's go back to 
loop 9. And verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So again, we're denying self. We're pushing aside all of our hopes, dreams, anything of this world, we're pushing it aside to follow Christ. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world as himself destroyed or lost? So we must realize that it's not about us. Number two, it is about others. Jesus showed us after the disciples are arguing that is the heart of a servant that he ultimately desires. So we think that in order to be the greatest, we gotta, we got to strive, we have to succeed, we have so many things to accomplish. But no, it's completely opposite. The heart of a servant is what Christ wants. Jesus continually shows us over and over again that love and compassion are his main attributes. He's constantly looking at others and thinking, what can I do for them? Over and over again, no matter how we think his situation might be, he might be tired. He might be potentially uh, feeling like he needs his downtime. But no, he continually had love and compassion for everyone that crossed his path. We are children of God. And as we saw in this passage, a child completely represents weakness, helplessness, and dependency. But yet, we're called the children of God. We are to be having, if we are to realize that we are completely weak and helpless and dependent, and we need Christ, looking at other people, that other Christian brothers that same way too, and knowing that we all are weak and helpless, and we all are to come alongside each other, uh, that would revolutionize the church. What if, what if we looked at everybody as somebody in need? Always. We looked at that person and said, what can I do for you? We pushed aside ourselves and, and looked, at some, looked at everybody with love and compassion. It would revolutionize the church. Third point, it's ultimately about Christ. Jesus desires us to follow him. We need to push aside our own priorities and focus on Christ. When we look at all of the amazing things that Christ does for us now, it should be pointing us to Christ. It should, it should force us to worship him even more. It should force us to love Christ even more. James states that every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. Everything good that's happening around us, it's coming from God. And if we were to realize that it's all ultimately about Christ, could change our lives completely. It would change our lives completely. C.S. Lewis said, your real new self, which is Christ's, and also yours, and yours just because it is Christ's, will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. So when I was thinking about kind of what to speak about tonight. I wanted to speak about something that ultimately convicts me the most. It's pushing aside priorities 
and realizing that it's, it's Christ for whom we should be living. And, and I think of the analogy, I'm going to pull out this knife here, and it's, I'm not going to use the knife for the dying to self analogy, so don't worry about that. But as we know, right, an onion is full of layers, right? So I have an onion here that I just cut in half, right? So I'm going to hold it away from me so I don't start crying. But as we know, right, an onion, whoa, an onion full of layers, right? So we can pull a layer and layer back, right? And Sam, she really likes onions. I'm not a big onion fan, but she uses them for cooking and everything. And um, we actually, so I don't know if you guys know this, but I'll tell you that it actually works. So if there's a, like the flu season going on, chop up an onion and put it next to your bed. I'm serious. It works. It will stop you from getting sick. I'm not a doctor, so I can't, I can't promise you anything, but it works for us. Anyway, so a layer, layers of onions are contained in this one onion. But you know what I found out when I was reading? Why does an onion make you cry? It's because when you chop through an onion and you hit the center, the center is where the most concentrated sulfuric gases are that when mixed with the air hits your eyes and makes you cry, right? So as you pull apart the layers of an onion, you hit that center, you hit the place where the most damage can be done. It's kind of like my own life. I start peeling away these layers, layer after layer after layer, until I hit that core, and I realize it's the core that does the most damage. And if I can realize that it's what's really inside of me when I pull away the layers, if I can realize that it's this sin, this dark, this self that is constantly doing the most damage, and I can push that aside and focus on Christ, how much more can I, can I show his glory if I can just push aside that damaging core? Give it to Christ, hand over that self, how much more can I do for Christ if I can push aside those layers and give that core to Christ? Later, C.S. Lewis said again, nothing that you have not given away will, will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. I saw in myself, and I see myself all the time, I pull these layers away, it's dark. It is sinful. It's wicked. And trying to, to pass that core, that self to Christ, so difficult. But... We have the power, as Christ states, to push that, push that self away. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So I challenge you, 
Push aside yourself. Give up to Christ and focus on where your priorities are. The disciples' priorities are who's the greatest. Look at what I've done for Christ. Look at who I'm associating with. I'm with Christ. I'm a disciple. They're focused in, on all the wrong things. Sure, they were good things that they were proclaiming. Yes, they were a disciple. Yes, they were doing great things for Christ. But that's all, that's where it went for them. I did this for Christ. We are part of Christ's disciples. It was all about us. It's not about us at all. They missed the point. It's about Christ. We can push aside self and focus on Christ. It will change us. Let's pray.